Good morning. It's good to be together this morning. Appreciate this time that we're able to spend in worship together. Appreciate the guys who are leading us in worship. Appreciate them being a little bit flexible this morning. But it's good to be together. I appreciate being a part of this body. Appreciate being a part of this family. And I hope that you do too. We're going to be in Mark the 14th chapter. If you want to go ahead and turn there. If you have your copy of God's Word, I'd love for you to turn with me to Mark chapter 14, and together we're going to be looking at verses 12 through 25. If you'll turn there with me, Mark the 14th chapter, and we're going to be studying together in verses 12 through 25. There are many things in our lives that become habitual. Whenever we do them, we don't think about them. We don't think about their importance. We don't think about their significance. We just do them. Almost as if they're mindless tasks. One example that comes to my mind is how you get ready in the morning. I imagine that in the morning, all of us do just about the same things. You get in the shower, you brush your teeth, you put on deodorant, you put on your clothes, you put on your shoes. We all do the same things, but I'd also go out on a limb to say that we all do them in different orders. We all have different routines whenever it comes to getting ready in the morning. Why do I do what I do in the morning? Why do I go through my morning routine every single day? It's just what I do. There's really no rhyme or reason to it. It's what I've done every single day for years now. I do it without even thinking about it. I go through my routine and it's something that I don't even consider. There are things like that in our lives. They become so habitual to us that we do them without thinking about it. It's simply mindless task. In Acts the 20th chapter, in verse number 7, we find an example, we find a pattern that we follow today as members of the Lord's church. Luke tells us by inspiration that it was on the first day of the week when the disciples gathered together to break bread. More than likely in that context, Luke is referring to the Lord's Supper whenever he talks about breaking bread. As Christians today, we gather together every first day of the week for that purpose. We gather together every first day of the week for that event, to break bread, to partake in the Lord's Supper, to remember Jesus, to remember what Jesus was willing to do for us, not once a year. Not once every six months, not once every quarter, we follow the New Testament pattern that we find in Acts 20 and verse 7. Every first day of the week, we gather together as followers of Jesus in order to remember Him, in order to remember what He was willing to do for us. But in thinking about that example, in thinking about that pattern that we follow, I think there's a question that we need to ask. When it comes to the Lord's Supper, Is it something that's become habitual for us? Or every single week, do we allow the Lord's Supper to be meaningful to us? Whenever we break bread, whenever we partake of the Lord's Supper together, do we have it right externally, but we're missing it internally? When it comes to the Lord's Supper, is it something that we check off of our list every single week, but we allow it to go by without even thinking about it? A mindless task. Not thinking about its great significance. Not thinking about its great importance. Not considering the impact that it should have on our lives. Not just while we're in this assembly, but as we go out and live our lives the rest of the week. 
Can I tell you some things that I've seen when it comes to the Lord's Supper? And just a disclaimer here, none, I, I didn't see any of this at Seven Oaks. These are other congregations that Leslie and I have attended. But I remember one time, whenever the Lord's Supper started, a lady sitting in front of me and Leslie pulled out her fingernail clippers and started going to town. And she clipped her fingernails, all ten of them. She'd clip it, and the fingernail would fall to the ground on, on hardwood floors so you could hear it tink as it was hitting the ground. The only time that she would stop is when the plates were past her direction. She'd take of the bread, she took of the fruit of the vine, but then just kept clipping. Probably the only way it could have been worse is if she would have started on her toenails. I think that would have been just a little bit worse maybe than the fingernails. I've seen people on their phones during the Lord's Supper. What about you? People sending text messages, scrolling on Facebook, scrolling on social media in a time that's set apart to remember Jesus and to remember what Jesus was willing to do for us. I remember one time I had a denominational friend who wasn't a member of the Lord's Church, never associated with the Lord's Church. He came to worship with me one Sunday whenever I was preaching. This was back whenever I was in high school. When the service was over, I asked him if he had any questions. And he had one question. And it was kind of surprising to me. The question wasn't about musical instruments, which is what we had talked about before he had come to worship. That's what I thought he would ask about. It wasn't about anything that I said in the sermon. He asked me, do you, do you all take the Lord's Supper every week? I said, yeah, we take the Lord's Supper every week. He said, why do you do that when nobody there looked engaged? Why do you take the Lord's Supper every week when I didn't see a single person who looked invested in it. Now you might think that's a judgmental question, but if we take some time to reflect, is he really that far off base? Have we allowed the Lord's Supper to become habitual? Or is it something that's so meaningful to us every single Lord's Day? This isn't just about what I've seen in other people. Can I tell you honestly, it's about what I've seen in myself. There are times when I've gone through the Lord's Supper focused on everything but Jesus. There are times when I've gone through the Lord's Supper thinking about what I'm going to say, what I'm going to preach about in a few minutes, what I'm going to eat for lunch a little bit later in the day, some things that I have planned throughout the week. Perhaps we need to spend some time here. Perhaps we need to do some work here. Perhaps we need to evaluate ourselves here. Have we allowed the Lord's Supper to become habitual where it's a mindless task? Or do we go through it every single week recognizing its great importance and recognizing its great significance? That's the question that I want us to reflect on as we study together over the next few minutes in Mark the 14th chapter, verses 12 through 25. Let's think about the Lord's Supper and let's think about the great difference that it should make within us. When we begin in this passage of Scripture in chapter 14, verses 12 through 21, we begin by looking at the setting of Jesus instituting the Lord's Supper. Notice in verse number 12 that we begin with Mark giving us a chronological note. He says, on the first day of unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb. The feast of unleavened bread, which happened for seven days. It began with the Passover feast. You can read more about this in Exodus chapter 12 and Exodus chapter 13. Those two festivals were celebrated annually by the Jews and it remembered God's deliverance of Israel out of their slavery, out of their bondage in the land of Egypt. Do you remember how God rescued the Israelites from their slavery in the land of Egypt? 
He had ten plagues. He put ten plagues on the Egyptians. The final plague was what? The death of the firstborn. God told His people, I want you to take a lamb per family. I want you to slaughter the lamb. Take the blood of the lamb and put the blood on the door frame of your house. When the tenth plague happened and, and God was passing over these different houses and residences, if there was blood on the door frame of the house, He passed over it. Hence, the Passover. If there was blood on the door frame, God passed over the household. If there wasn't blood on the door frame, then the firstborn in that household was killed. The Passover remembered that. It was after that tenth plague that the Israelites were able to leave their slavery. They were able to leave their bondage from the land of Egypt to make their way to the promised land. Every single year, the Israelites remembered that. Starting with the feast of the Passover and then moving on throughout the rest of the week into the feast of unleavened bread. According to some secular first century sources, there were about 125,000 Jews per year who came to the city of Jerusalem in order to celebrate the Passover. That's where Jesus and His disciples are in Mark chapter 14. This is the night before His crucifixion. This is the night before He's going to be sacrificed for our sins. As we mentioned in our prayer, taking the world's sins upon His shoulders. From 2.30 to 5.30 in the afternoon, Jewish families would take their Passover lamb to the temple. They would have the Passover lamb slaughtered in one of the courts at that time so they could then feast on it that evening. Notice the disciples take some initiative here in verse number 12 on the first day of unleavened bread when they sacrificed the Passover lamb. His disciples asked him a question, where will you have us go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? They knew that there was some work that needed to be done in order for them as Jews to celebrate the Passover feast as they had done a couple of different times together. Jesus and His disciples. There was unleavened bread that needed to be purchased. They needed to get a Passover lamb. The Passover lamb needed to be slaughtered. They needed to get some fruit of the vine for the four different cups that they would have throughout the evening, throughout the feast, throughout the festival. They needed to get some herbs which were also placed on the table at this time during the feast. There were things that needed to be done. There were tasks that needed to be accomplished. And the apostles were willing to do it. They're just asking Jesus, where do you want us to do it? We know these things need to be done. We know preparations need to be made for the Passover meal. Where do you want us to do that? Do you have a location in mind? As we look throughout the rest of this passage, as Jesus addresses His disciples, verses 13-21, through 21, I believe that we see something amazing about Jesus. Something that continues to be applicable in our lives today. We see Jesus' supernatural control and His miraculous knowledge over everything that's going on. Is Jesus going to suffer in just a few hours more than our tongues can tell? He is. Is Jesus going to be hung on the cross the next morning after this Passover meal takes place? He's going to be hung on the cross. But when we look at 13-21, through 21, we have to be impressed with the fact that nothing is outside the realm of His control. Nothing is outside the realm of His knowledge. The disciples asked the question, where do you want us to prepare the Passover meal? Jesus told them exactly what to do. And He told them exactly what to expect. As you continue reading in verse 13, He told them, I want you to go into the city of Jerusalem. 
And when you get there, you're going to find a man who's carrying a jar of water. He's going to meet you. Follow him wherever he goes. When he enters into a house, go to the master of that house and tell them in verse 14, the teacher says, where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He's going to take you up to this large upper room. It's already going to be furnished. It's already going to be ready. Everything that you need is going to be there. That is the place that you can prepare for us to eat the Passover meal together. Luke's account tells us that it was Peter and John. They did exactly what Jesus told them to do. And it happened exactly as Jesus said it. I don't know about you, but I might have had some questions if Jesus told me that, if I was on the receiving end of that message, just go into the city, you're going to find this guy, follow him to this house, and everything's going to be ready. Well, I might have some questions about that. It seems that the disciples didn't. They do what Jesus told them to do and found it exactly as Jesus told them it would be. So they prepared the Passover meal. You look at verse number 17, the evening came. As the preparations for the Passover meal were made, they reclined at the table together in order to share that Passover meal. And Jesus reveals that one of His disciples is going to betray Him. As readers of the Gospel of Mark, we already know that. Because back in Mark 14, verses 10 and 11, Mark told us about how Judas Iscariot went to the chief priests and the scribes in order to betray Jesus to them. We're already clued in on this, but here we find it from Jesus' own lips. One of the men sitting, at him, sitting with him at this table, one of the men dipping in the same cup that he's dipping in, is going to betray him over to his enemies. He's, and all the disciples, they were distressed. They were sorrowful, asking the question, is it going to be me? Even Judas in Matthew 26 and 25 answered, is it I, Rabbi? Jesus told him, you have said so. You continue reading in Mark the 14th chapter, Jesus says that the Son of Man is going to go as it's written of Him. Perhaps He's making a reference here to Psalms 41 and verse number 9, where perhaps speaking prophetically, the psalmist says, even my close friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted his heel against me. Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of that. He's going to go as it's written of Him, but notice there's going to be consequence. This is in, 20, in 21. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. And so this is the setting. This is what's leading us towards our Scripture reading from verses 22 through 25 where Jesus actually institutes the Lord's Supper. They're preparing the Passover meal. They sit down to eat the Passover meal. Jesus demonstrates that everything in this circumstance it's inside of His control. There's nothing outside the realm of Jesus' knowledge as He is marching closer and closer to the cross that He's going to hang on for six hours. I believe that Jesus uses that control, Jesus uses that knowledge to institute something that we still partake in today, what Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 calls the Lord's Supper. We might be tempted to think that the Lord's Supper is something new. That Jesus invented it out of thin air. Jesus completely came up with the Lord's Supper and it was something that was unique to Him. It was something that was original to Him. Notice that's not what we find in Mark the 14th chapter. As the preparations for the Passover meal were made, as they were sitting and eating the Passover meal together, Jesus takes the opportunity to institute the Lord's Supper. We might call the Lord's Supper this new and reoriented Passover feast. 
Jesus takes the Passover feast, takes certain elements of the Passover feast, he reworks it, he revamps it in something, into something that is designed for his followers. So let's notice that together. As Jesus institutes the Lord's Supper, in this, in this new reoriented Passover feast, we see that the symbols are going to take on new meaning. We mentioned a little bit earlier, as we were talking about the setting of this passage of Scripture, that there were two main symbols, two main emblems that the Feast of Unleavened Bread or the Passover was concerned with. The first is unleavened bread. Now some of you might be looking at the graphic that I have up on the screen and looking at that bread thinking that doesn't look very unleavened. Well, it's the only graphic that I could find, okay? The, the, the internet only has so many resources. But during the Feast of Unleavened Bread, during the Passover, you couldn't even have leaven in your house. You had to feast on unleavened bread and there was a reason for that. As the Israelites were leaving the land of Egypt, as they were leaving their slavery and bondage, they had to do it quickly. They had to do it suddenly. They didn't have time for the bread to rise. They didn't have time for the leaven to fulfill its purpose. And so God told them back in Exodus 12 and 13 that this is to be about unleavened bread. And that's what they continued to do as they celebrated it every single year. Jesus takes that same symbol. He takes that same emblem. And he gives it a new meaning. Look at that in verse 22. As they were eating, he took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to them and said, take, this is my body. No longer is the unleavened bread symbolic of the Israelites having to quickly and suddenly leave the land of Egypt. Jesus takes the unleavened bread and says, this is my body. The unleavened bread is representative not just of the body that served people and ministered to people and loved people for about three and a half years, but the unleavened bread is symbolic of the body that was beaten. The body that was scourged. The body that was nailed to the cross and hung there for about six hours. But there's another symbol here. There's another emblem and that's the cup. The fruit of the vine, the other Gospel accounts call it. During the Passover feast in the first century, they had four different cups that they would drink from, and each cup represented a different aspect of God's deliverance of Israel from Egypt. Once again, Jesus takes that same symbol. He takes that same emblem, and He gives it a new meaning in verse number 23. He took a cup, and when He had given thanks, He gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And He said to them, this is My blood of the covenant which is poured out for many. Matthew in his account in Matthew 26, 27, and 28 adds at the end of that, it's for the forgiveness of sins. Drink of it all of you, for this is My blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. The cup no longer represents the blood of the Passover lamb that was spread on the doorpost. Now the cup, the fruit of the vine, represents the blood of the Passover lamb who was hung on the cross. No longer does the cup represent different aspects of God's deliverance of Israel from Egypt. Now the cup represents God's deliverance and salvation that He offers to all of humanity through His only unique Son, Jesus Christ. And so we see the same symbols, the same emblems taking on new meaning. Number two, in the Lord's Supper, this new reoriented Passover feast, there's a shift in audience. When you go to Scriptures like Exodus chapter 12, verses 43-48, through 48, we're not going to read through all of that, but when you observe 
the Passover meal or the Feast of Unleavened Bread, you had to live under the Old Covenant. You had to live in subjection to the Old Testament law to the point that if you were a foreigner and you were wanting to eat of the Passover, or you were a servant that was, that was bought into an Israelite household, you had to be circumcised in order to even partake in this festival, this annual feast. In order to observe the Passover, you had to be a part of the old covenant that God made with the nation of Israel. Notice here, there's a shift in audience. In verse number 24, did you catch it? Jesus says, this is my blood of the covenant. Luke gives a little bit more detail in chapter 2 and verse number 20. This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Can you see the shift in audience here? If you were going to observe the Passover, you had to live under the old covenant that God made with Israel. But in order to take part in this new reoriented Passover feast, you need to be a part of the new covenant that's only available through the blood of Jesus. You had to be a Jew in order to observe the Passover, but the audience shifts. All of Jesus' followers are able to partake in this new, reworked, revamped Passover feast. Number three, there's a shift in purpose. As we've said several different times, like in Scriptures like Exodus 13 and verse 9, the Passover was meant to remember. Its purpose was to remember how God brought the Israelite ancestors out of their slavery in the land of Egypt and led them towards the promised land. Look at Exodus 13. It shall be to you, this talking about the Passover, it shall be to you as a sign on your hand, as a memorial between your eyes. What does a memorial do? It remembers that the law of the Lord may be on your mouth. This is what it's all about. With a strong hand, the Lord has brought you out of Egypt, as Jesus institutes the Lord's Supper, there's a shift in purpose. He takes the bread in Luke 22 and 19 and says, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. He takes the cup in 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 25. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it. How? What's the purpose? in remembrance of me. There's a different purpose here. No longer is it about remembering God's deliverance of Israel from their slavery in Egypt. In this new reoriented Passover feast, it's all about Jesus. It centers on Jesus. It's all about remembering His body. It's all about remembering the blood that He was willing to shed for us. And then what a powerful reminder as this text closes out in verse 25, that as we take the Lord's Supper, Jesus is present among us. He tells His disciples, Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in the kingdom of God. I believe that Jesus is pointing forward to what happens about 50 days later. Remember Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost, whenever the church was established, the kingdom of God came from heaven to earth in the form of the church. 3,000 souls repented and were baptized for the forgiveness of their sins. Acts 2 and verse 38. And when you skip down to Acts 2 and verse 42, those new converts who now made up the Lord's church devoted themselves to four things. One of them was to the breaking of bread or the observance of the Lord's Supper. The kingdom of God is established on earth in the form of the church. The church begins to take part in this new reoriented Passover feast. 
They begin to take part in what Jesus instituted on the night before His death, what we call the Lord's Supper. And Jesus wants them to know, I'm there with you. Jesus wants them to know, I'm there in the midst of you. When we take the Lord's Supper, we're not talking about something that Jesus instituted, He told us to do it, and then He took some steps back and said, now you can have it. Every single week when we take the Lord's Supper, Jesus is present among us. You know how I like to picture it? I like to picture myself going back in time, talk about time travel, going back in time and sitting at the table with Jesus and His disciples. That's what we're doing. Every single week, we sit down at the table with Jesus. He serves us, and we remember Him as we eat of the bread and as we drink of the cup. In the context of the Passover feast, Jesus says, I want to give you something new. He takes the Passover feast, He reorients it, He reworks it, He revamps it into what we call the Lord's Supper, where the same symbols take on new meaning. Where there's a shift in audience, there's a shift in purpose, where He's present among us, where we sit down at the table, not just with one another, but we sit down at the table with Jesus in order to remember Him as those who are a part of the new covenant. Pause and let it soak in. That's what we get to do every week. Every single first day of the week, we get to take part in this new reoriented Passover feast. I love the questions in 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 16. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation? Underline that word. Is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? What are we doing whenever we take the cup? We are participating together, collectively, in the blood of Jesus. What do we do whenever we take the bread? We are participating, we are active participants in the body of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We live in such an individualistic culture. And you might be tempted to think in the Lord's Supper, this is, it's just about me, and it's just about me remembering Jesus, and remembering what He was willing to do for me as an individual. This is not an individual act. Why do we call it communion? Because this is something we do together. This is a collective act where as members of the body of Christ, we are able to remember our Lord together, to participate in His blood, and to participate in His body And so perhaps the question that we need to spend some time thinking about. Have we allowed the Lord's Supper to become habitual? Or is it something every single week that is so meaningful to us? Is it something that we check off the list? Do we go through it mindlessly? Or as we go through the Lord's Supper every single week, are we intentional about reflecting on the Lord. Remembering Him. Remembering His body. Remembering His blood. Participating with one another. Sitting down at the table with Jesus. In order to have a memorial for Him. Is it habitual? What is it for you? Is it habitual? Or is it something that you have decided to make very meaningful? What's so neat about where we are right now is that we have the opportunity 
to practice what we spent some time talking about today. That doesn't happen every single week, does it? Many of the things that we talk about from Scripture, we have to go out and live in our, our daily lives throughout the rest of the week. This morning, as we've considered the Lord's Supper, we have the opportunity to put it into practice right here and right now. So in just a few moments, Benny's going to come. He's going to lead us in one more song that's going to further prepare our minds for the Lord's Supper. And then we're going to have our guys come back up and lead us in this new reoriented Passover feast. I want to challenge you to leave your Bible open. I want to challenge you to reflect on the things that we've discovered from Mark the 14th chapter today. Not just today, but moving forward. Let's not allow the Lord's Supper to be habitual. But let's allow it to be very meaningful. Benny, would you come and lead us in one more song?